bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. A couple quick announcements. This Wednesday night, usually we go verse-by-verse through the Old Testament. We'll be back doing that a week from Wednesday. We'll be in 1 Samuel 26, a week from Wednesday. But this Wednesday, uh, my pastor that God used to really have a huge impact on my life and when I was a young man, uh, really spent some time discipling me, and uh, God used him to stretch me, and he was a tool God used to call me into ministry, and he's never been here, so I actually invited him to come, and he's going to be here speaking on Wednesday, so if you're not doing anything Wednesday night, let me encourage you to come, you'll be blessed, it'll be a great time in the Word. And then the married couples retreat, if you're on the fence about that, can I encourage you to go? Can I encourage you to take some time away with your wife, with your husband, uh, the the speaker uh, was the married couple's uh, pastor down at Calvary Costa Mesa for many, many years. And I just think it's a great time to get away. It'll be a nice uh, hotel and a, uh, you can have breakfast in bed and that kind of thing. It'll be a great time of, of just spending some time with your spouse, but also a great time of looking at God's Word and what it says about marriage. And there'll be several other Calvary chapels there. So let me encourage you to go. My wife and I, Lynette, will be there and we are looking forward to it. So I hope you can join us. All right, well, that being said, turn your Bibles again to Hebrews 7. We're going to pick up in verse 15, where we left off last week. And I'm going to bring you up to speed by giving you an overview. But we're going to really look uh, at the first portion of the text, just the, the points that were made last week. Because the title of the message is 12 Reasons Why Jesus is Better Than the Old Covenant Priests. Now, if you've not been coming... The entire book of Hebrews, really the theme of all of it is Jesus is better. He's better in the, in the first few chapters. We saw that he's better than the prophets. Prophets good, used by God, Jesus better. The angels in chapter 2, good, used by God, Jesus better. And as we continue to go through the text, we've been seeing that this was a letter written to Jews who were contemplating going back to Judaism. They'd given their life to Jesus Christ, they'd begun to follow Him, but now the culture and the, you know, their old family and friends maybe were trying to draw them back into that old lifestyle. At this time, the temple was still standing, so they would walk by it every day, they would still hear about, you know, hear the trumpets blowing, see the sacrifices being made, and they'd given their life to Christ, now they're meeting in homes, and, and certainly it wasn't as, as grand in all the rituals as Judaism was. But it was really all about a relationship. And guys, that's the application for us today. It's not about religion and rituals. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. A lot of religion, a lot of rituals going on, and a lot of lost people who don't know God. And guys, religion won't get you into heaven. All the rituals in the world won't get you into heaven. You need to have a relationship with the Lord. And so all the way through, the emphasis has been Jesus is better. Jesus is better, and we can't say that enough. As a matter of fact, He's not just better, He's the best, and no one else compares. Amen? Amen. So now, we come to this chapter, and we've seen that He's better than the prophets, He's better than the angels, and He is the great high priest. Now, no doubt, some of the things that were being said was to, you know, if you imagine you've given your life, maybe some of you have experienced this, maybe you left a really ritualistic 
religion. You gave your life to the Lord. You thought maybe you were a Christian or you were saved before because you went to church all the time or you went at Christmas and Easter and you fulfilled some rituals and you thought you had a big Bible at home that you, with your baptismal certificate in it and you thought that meant you were a Christian. And then you really came to know Christ, and you're like, whoa, now I'm really saved. You've given your life to the Lord, but a lot of your family is still back in that old way of life. Still saying, well, wait a minute. You grew up this way. This is what your family's like. This is how your grandparents grew up. How in the world are you not following along? And sometimes we can even be tempted to try to mix the two. I know many people who do that. They go to one really religious, ritualistic, legalistic church one Sunday and then they go to another church on another because they're trying to have both. Guys, we don't need anything but Jesus Christ, amen? And sometimes we try to hold on. Well, I got you know, to get my confirmation. I got to get my, you know, the baptismal thing. I got that discipleship class over there I got to f- finish. And if I don't, I won't really be saved. Guys, if they're telling you you've got to add to the cross, run. Because you don't need to be there, Amen. Jesus Christ is sufficient, and there's only one great high priest. And as we'll see as we continue on through this morning's chapter, there's not only only one great high priest now, there is only one priest, period, now. Amen? There are no other priests. We don't need any other priests. We don't need them. Why? We got Jesus. Why in the world we want something less than that? Or someone less than that? So, as we come to, the, to this morning's text, let me give you the five we looked at last week. The 12 reasons why Jesus is better. First of all, last week we saw that he is both king and priest. Now you got to understand something that to the Jews that was almost blasphemous. Because you could not be king and priest. You could be a king or you could be a priest. You could be a king and a prophet. You could be a prophet and a priest, but you couldn't be a king and a priest. And yet, Jesus is both king and priest. Amen? And what, he, what the emphasis he was giving to them as they're being drawn back to the, to the old priesthood was to say to them that old priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of, of the, the Levitical law, again, in the old covenant was good. It was God's plan, but it was all pointing to Jesus. Now that Jesus has come, we don't need the, Aaron, you know, the priesthood of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood anymore. And yet we still have Christians today trying to mix Judaism and Christianity. We don't do that. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian anymore. Now the Jews in those days, they would be kind of feeling torn because they had seen kings who tried to be the priest. King Saul, if you recall, tried to go in and make the sacrifice and God ripped the kingdom from him. King Uzziah tried to do the same thing, and when he did, God smote him with leprosy. No doubt they're saying to these new Christians, hey, how can he be both, well, you've read the Old Testament, you saw King Uzziah, you saw King Saul, and he begins to tell them there's another priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to get the tape, but Melchizedek is a very clear picture of Jesus Christ. And in my opinion, just your pastor's opinion, and it doesn't really matter, ultimately, I believe it is he is Jesus Christ. Because it says in verse 3 that he has no father, no mother, no genealogy, no days, no beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Who does that sound like? And so... Some have said, well, it doesn't really matter ultimately because at the very least, the point that is being made is 
while the priesthood of Aaron was good, it is no longer. And if you go back to that priesthood, you're turning your back on Jesus Christ. Guys, if you turn to a church instead of a savior, if you turn to a man instead of to the Lord, if you turn to religion instead of to a relationship, you've missed God. Amen? And so that's where we are, and this is the exhortation being written to them. So he's already told them Jesus is better because he is both king and priest. Number two, he's without beginning or end. You know, all the other priests had a beginning, and they all had an end. Amen? They all died, every one of them. As we're going to see in the text this morning, they would live for a while, then they would die, and they'd have to get another priest. Guys, as we're going to see in the text, we don't need another priest ever. We've got the only one we're ever going to need. Amen? We don't have to look for anybody else, no substitutes. He's never going to die. He's never going to go away. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Praise God that we serve a risen and living Savior who indeed is our great high priest. So he said, you've got the priesthood of Aaron. There's a greater priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now briefly, Melchizedek shows up and Abraham pays tithes to him. Abraham honors him as being greater than him. Now, he reminds them of this because they would think of Abraham as their father. The Jews would say, Father Abraham, right? And Abraham was one who showed honor to Melchizedek and paid tithes to him even before giving was recorded anywhere else in Scripture. So you see this very clear picture that Melchizedek is in a position of supreme authority, in a position where he's being honored by Abraham as being greater than him. And this is why I believe it's absolutely Jesus Christ. So the third thing we saw is that as someone who is greater than the priest, he's the one who did the blessing. Because again, the greater blesses the lesser, and he had blessed Abraham. Now remember, you're talking to Jews who would elevate Abraham greatly, so when they heard this, it would be an exhortation to them that they are turning away from one who is greater to something that is much, much less. Then we saw that he received tithes. And again, you'll notice in Scripture that while the Levites were allowed to receive tithes to provide for themselves... It was a command that people gave. Abraham gave to Melchizedek with no command. He gave out of love. Guys, that ought to be how we give all the time. Amen? We should give. Amen? But we don't give out of a, a desire or a, to, to please man or a desire to earn some favor from God. If I give to him, then he'll owe me. God will never owe you anything. Amen? You don't manipulate God. You don't... You don't Throw out your seed offering. That is just absolute noise, by the way. I mean, that's just, that's just, we don't manipulate God. God, you know, if I give him money, then he's going to owe me. No, he doesn't. Guys, we can't give him enough. He, we owe him everything. Amen? A hundred percent of everything I own is God's already. And so, but when I give, I should give with a cheerful heart. And notice that he received the offering. Melchizedek, being this great high priest, he received the honoring, and I believe, Pastor Dave's opinion again, I believe he received worship. And I believe the only reason he could do that is because he's Jesus. Okay? So those are the first four things. And then finally, the last one we saw was that the Levitical priesthood is temporary and imperfect. Unlike our Savior, all other priests before had been imperfect. As I said before, they'd been temporary. They were sinners themselves in need of a Savior. God had put them there. But you know what? They had to make sacrifices for themselves. And they were men who needed the Lord. They were not sufficient. So let's pick up in verse 15. 
We're going to look at the final seven reasons. Part two of the 15 reasons why Jesus, or 12 reasons why Jesus is better. Number six, we're going to see that Jesus is priest forever. Number seven, the law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. Number eight, Jesus is our guarantee of a better covenant. Number nine, Jesus doesn't need a replacement. Amen and amen and amen. No angel's going to show up and tell you there's another Savior. Amen? They can try that all they want to. I don't care how many golden plates you think you saw, you're out of your mind. The Word of God is sufficient. Amen? Number 10, Jesus is holy. Number 11, Jesus doesn't need to take care of his own sins because he doesn't have any. And number 12, Jesus paid for our sin once and for all. So let's look at Jesus is priest forever, beginning in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 7. And it says, It is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. He's continuing the thought from the previous verses. The imperfection of the Levitical priesthood, it was never perfect. It had never been perfect. It never brought perfect communication with God. There was always an, a, a portion of separation from God. In and of itself, it could not bring redemption or acceptance before God, much like the law of Moses from which it came. Guys, the law, as we're going to see as we continue on, reveals our sin, but it cannot save us. Amen? The law reveals that you're a sinner, but it cannot save you. Guys, the pro- one of the problems we have in the church today, you've got two extremes. You've got extreme legalism, where man's trying to earn you know, his salvation by knocking on a certain number of doors and dressing a certain way and keeping certain commands. And if I do enough, then I'll maybe be good enough one day to get into heaven. I'll tell you what, you'll never have peace if you live a life of legalism, amen? Because you'll never be good enough. You'll always blow it. How many of you guys sinned yesterday? Raise your hand. I got in trouble last time I said this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If your hand's not up, you're lying right now, amen? I had a guy come up one time and say to me, well, I didn't sin. You told me. I... Well, okay, well, now you're sinning because you're prideful. So how about that? But here's the point. The point. The point is very clear that the law reveals our sin, but it cannot save us. Guys, keeping the law doesn't make God love you any more than he loves you already. It's by grace we're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Pastor Dave, are you telling me... No, I'm not telling you to go the other extreme either, which is cheap grace. Well, I'm saved. I got the get out of hell free card in my wallet. I'm just going to party till the Lord comes back. I'm going to live my life just like the world, but the Lord's called us to be holy for I am holy. Do those two things contradict each other? No, they don't. I'm not trying to earn my salvation, but you know what? Because I'm saved, I want to live a life set apart unto the Lord. Amen? And so the exhortation here is very clear as he's saying to them, you know what, there's something more evident. There's a greater priesthood. But he's reminding them in the previous verses that there was no perfection in the Levitical priesthood. Back in verse 11, he says those very words. There's no perfection. You cannot achieve it through the Old Covenant. You can't be saved through the Old Covenant. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Dave. Are you telling me what about all the Old Testament saints? Didn't they get to heaven because they kept the sacrifices? What's the answer? No, it isn't. No, they didn't. Now, were they supposed to keep the sacrifices? 
Yes, they were. Do the sacrifices save them? No, they don't. You know what the Bible says? By faith, Abraham believed and was saved. Amen? He was not saved by sacrifices. Now, he did the sacrifices because he had faith in the one who would come and be the fulfillment. Moses and and each of the Old Testament saints were being obedient to what God had called them to do. But it was not those sacrifices that saved them. It's the one who who those sacrifices pictured who would come who saved them. Amen? You know when Jesus died on the cross... People get confused. They think Jesus went into hell like he went down into the flames. He did not go into the flames. People think he had to go into the flames and be born again. I've heard people say that. That's blasphemy. Jesus didn't have to be born again. Amen. He was born right the first time. He's God. Amen. He's God. He's perfect. He's holy. He didn't need to be born again. But where he did go was into Abraham's bosom. And in Abraham's bosom was where all the Old Testament saints who had believed by faith that the Messiah would come, who had been faithful and obedient to the sacrificial system, to all the things that pointed to the coming Messiah, who came confessing the Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he set them free to enter into the presence of the Father. But they could not be there until he went to the cross. Does that make sense? So now that he's been absent from the body, present with the Lord, amen. Right? You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in heaven, Christians die well, it's good stuff. But what he's been telling them is, look, that Levitical law will not perfect you. You guys are thinking about leaving Jesus to go back to rituals? I mean, you want to say, dude, are you out of your mind? Have you lost it? You know, he's a little more, you know, kind than that in some ways. But what he's telling them, he's exhorting them throughout this entire book, don't miss Jesus, he's better don't go back to the old way of life don't go back to the levitical law that all pointed to the lord don't go back to the shadow when the shadow has been fulfilled by him he's the answer the levitical priesthood was incomplete it was imperfect you know why because the priests were imperfect do we see some mess up priests in the bible what's the answer the priest would die he'd be a good priest then you get hophni and phineas If you read the Bible, you know who they are, the sons of Eli. They were having drunken orgies inside the tabernacle. They took the ark out with them out into battle, thinking it was like a good luck charm and would make them win. Right? These guys were priests. So guys, that's why we don't put our faith in men, but we put our faith in God. Because though they were priests, they were not a picture of our high priest, were they? So the point he's making is, don't go back to man when you can have a relationship with God. Don't put your faith in a man. Most of you know I went back to work a few weeks ago, and the reason I did is that we're looking at buildings and so we can better minister to the children, and that's a priority and a passion I have. But there's a guy in my training class who has been going to a church for many years and just found out two weeks ago that a senior pastor had just been arrested for molesting children. And this is a huge church. And he was like, I'm, I'm done. And I'm like, bro, what does Jesus have to do with any of that? Don't put your faith in men. Put your faith in God. Amen? Because men will fail you, but God never will. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And he's, we don't put our faith in the, 
in the priesthood or a man, we put our faith in the great high priest, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's telling them, don't go back to that which is imperfect because that which is perfect has come. Amen? Amen. Jesus has come. Put your faith in him. So it's by faith that we are saved. By faith, Abel offered the sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not see death. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear. Hebrews 11 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's in the middle of the list of the Old Testament saints. It doesn't say that they please God by slaying lambs. Now again, were they supposed to slay lambs? Yes. But is that why they were going? No. It's because they put the faith in the one who was to come. Amen? Amen. Guys, we're the most blessed of all people. We, we look back to the cross. We have the completed revelation in our hand. And we're looking for the Messiah to come, but not to bring salvation, but to take us to heaven. Amen? Amen. And we're looking forward to that. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. But you know what? It's our belief in him it's not because you came to church it's the no, there's nothing new under the sun 2000 years later because people are still trying to approach god all the wrong ways church will not make you perfect any more than keeping the sacrifices would then keeping the feast would not save you any more than giving to charity or doing good works will today it's the same equation It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the answer. He's the only answer. He's the only hope. And guys, we ought to be a little more excited about it and not be dialing it down to a lost and dying world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? And we need to be a little more... You know what, guys? I'll tell you what. I love being back at work in one sense because I get a chance to share my faith all day, every day with people because when I was in the office, Pastor Bill was already saved, okay? So it's actually pretty awesome to be able to talk to people all day long that don't know God. I mean, it gets me excited because, guys, that's why we're here, isn't it? To be salt and light. And he's reminding them, don't go back. Don't leave Jesus for anything else. Guys, if you're here, you may be tempted to leave Jesus for a relationship. You may be tempted to leave Jesus for a high. You may be tempted to leave Jesus for a career. Guys... All of that other stuff is empty. Jesus Christ alone is the one who will satisfy. It's far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. He's telling them those priests, the priests of of Aaron, are no longer valid. There arises another priest, and as we'll see, a better priest. Verse 16. Who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of of an endless life. He didn't come based on his heritage. How did the priests become the priests? They were in the line of Aaron. And so they were born into the priesthood, and that's why you got some knuckleheads for priests. Because they were born with the job. And yet, it says of the Lord, it says of this, the priesthood of Melchizedek, has not come according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of of an endless life. Now, that, I think that would qualify to be the great high priest, someone who doesn't die. Amen? He triumphs. So, now, you know what's interesting, though? What will the Antichrist do? What will he do? 
If you read the Bible, he will die, and then he will be resurrected from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Because he'll try to mimic what our Savior has done. The difference is, everybody else who's been resurrected from the dead dies again. Jesus Christ is still alive, and it's 2,000 years later. Amen? He's a risen and living Savior, and he lived even before he came to earth. But according to the power of an endless life, his authority, his deity, his calling as our great high priest are seen clearly in his power over death and the grave. Jesus, being God, had the power not only to deliver himself from death, but to deliver all of us. He delivered every one of us who gave our life to him from death. Guys, we've triumphed over sin and death right now. Again, no doubt some of the relatives were holding, you know, that feast and all those rituals over their head. And, you know, how can you have a priest? He's not even a Levite. How can, how can Jesus be your priest? He's not even a Levite. And the, the answer is, he's a greater high priest. He's not of the Levitical law. That's no more. It was all pointing to Jesus. And he's a priest according to the line of Melchizedek. Look what it says in verse 17. For he testifies, and then he quotes out of the Old Testament, out of Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, he's talking to Jews. Jews being tempted to go back to the old system. And he quotes to them the Old Testament. He knows his audience. That's a good thing to do, by the way, when you share your faith. Know who you're talking to. He knows his audience. He quotes Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It's about the Messiah. encourage you to read it when you get home. And what does it say? One of the things it says is you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So the Messiah would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron. Not according to the order of the Levites, but according to the order of Melchizedek who preceded Aaron, who preceded the law, who came before the law, who had no genealogy, who always had been, again, a picture of our Savior. So his note to them was he is going to be a priest forever. Now again, as I said before, the priest of Aaron, none of them lasted. They all would die at some point. They never, you know, they wouldn't be the priest forever. Some of them were priests for a very short time, some for many years, but at some point they would die. And that's not the priest and the Savior that we serve. He is a priest forever. So according to the line of Melchizedek, which means no genealogy, no beginning of days, no end of life, made like the Son of God, a priest forever, who is that speaking about? It's Jesus Christ. Nobody else measures up. So 12 reasons Jesus is better than the Old Testament priest. Number one, Jesus is the priest forever. He's triumphed over sin and death. Number two, or number seven, if, if you're counting from last week, law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. Let me say that again. The law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. Look at verse 18. It says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Now, you've got to understand that to the Jews' ears, this would almost sound like blasphemy. What does he just say? The former command, weak. The Levitical system, weak. Aaron's priesthood, weak. But wait a minute, did not God institute it? Yes, he did. 
Did not God put the law into existence? Yes, he did. But what he's trying to tell them very clearly is while the law reveals your sin, it can't save you. And while the priesthood can point you to the Messiah, it can't save you either. He's making the very clear point, it's not religion that will save you. It's not the rules that will save you. It's not the rituals that will save you. It's all empty in the end. It can show you your need for a Savior, but the only answer is going to come from the Messiah, the true and living God. The law as a source of salvation is weak and unprofitable. That word annulling there, it says, for on one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment, The word annulling means abolition, to put away, or to reject. So just in case you thought, we had to do both. No, we don't. Because people will say that to you sometimes. Aren't we still under the law? What's the answer? No, we're not. But don't don't we still obey the law? Well, again, guys, it can be a standard that we look to, but the ultimate standard is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Aren't there times when the Holy Spirit convicts you of stuff that's written down nowhere? What's the answer? Is there a verse in the Bible that says you should get up in the morning and wash the dishes and bless your wife? I've never seen that verse in the Bible. But you know what? There's a conviction to do that. Amen? There aren't necessarily verses in the Bible about certain activities in our life, but we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never have us do anything contrary to the Word. Amen? The Word of God is still the foundation but we must make sure that we do not limit the word and the power of God to speak into our lives and know that when he does speak, it will be confirmed in the word of God. So the Mosaic system, the old covenant had been abolished. It was weak. It was unprofitable. Why The law is weak and unprofitable left to itself. While it's valuable in showing again that standard, it cannot provide salvation. The law provides no cure for the sin problem. One of the things I love to do when I witness to people is make sure they understand very quickly that they're a sinner. Amen? Because until you see you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a Savior, right? But the point is, if I identify to them very clearly they're a sinner and then give them 252 laws they must keep and send them on their way, how are they going to do? Not so good. They probably won't make it very long before they'll just give up, right? So what the law does is reveals our sin, but then we must take them to the Savior. And that's exactly what he's talking about here, is that the law by itself is weak because it cannot save you. It's unprofitable because it's not enough. Guys, if the law was enough, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. Amen? I remember sitting with a family, not long ago, some distant relatives, we had dinner together. They were very devout in their faith. And he kept telling me that, well, he was a good man, so he's in heaven. Talking about a neighbor who had just died. And I'm like, how do you define a good man? How many times a day does a good man sin? I'm just curious. You know, three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, does he sin three times a day? Well, probably. How old? That's a thousand times a year if he's the best man I ever met. How old was he? 87. If he's the best man I ever met in my life, he sinned 87,000 times. Right? We probably could add a few zeros to that, right? And if you stood before a judge with 87,000 crimes, what would happen to you? If there's justice, God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. Amen? 
So guys, the law reveals our sin, but it cannot save us. And he's telling them the law is unprofitable. It can't do it. It can't fulfill it. Guys, can we quit being legalistic about stuff and start falling in love with our Savior and obey Him? Amen? Well, you know, you shouldn't do this. And you, if you don't wear a tie, I had a guy get, get after me every time at Calvary San Jose. I didn't have a tie on and tell me I was in sin because I didn't have a tie on. I'm like, you know what? I don't think Jesus wore a tie. <laughs> Ever. Not one time. Well, if people get after us because we don't sing only hymns. Well, only hymns are from the Lord. Well, hymns were most of them were written after bar tunes. I don't know if you knew that. Now, God can use those for his glory and praise God for that. But guys, it's all about is our heart worshiping God. Amen. That's what it's about. And we can get so legalistic. I grew up in a church where if you had playing cards, it was of the devil because some people gamble with playing cards. So I was playing go fish with my sister. My dad almost got fired from being the pastor because we had devil cards. Stop it already. Pool tables are from the devil because they have them in bars. You know, if you wear makeup, it's from the devil. You're painting yourself. You know, as Pastor Chuck says, if the barn needs painting, paint it, right? (laughs) But the point, guys, is we can get so legalistic about stuff, we can miss out on the Savior. It's not about keeping rules. It's about walking in an abundant relationship with the creator of the universe and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And that's what he's exhorting them to do. The law sets the standard. But look what it says in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. Is that pretty clear? And yet we have entire denominations that are built around one law, and they're making that the standard by which everything is measured. Right? There are many of them. And if you don't keep that one law the way they say, you're not saved. Wow. You better read the rest of the Bible. If you're going to hold on to one thing, how about the cross of Calvary? Why don't we hold on to that and make that the standard instead of the keeping of rules? The law doesn't draw you closer to God, but identifies your distance from Him, which is an important thing, isn't it? It's very important that we identify our distance from Him, but we're making a mistake when we think that's the very thing that will bring us to Him. Oh, I'm doing so much better now. God must love me more. I quit. I got rid of two of my bad habits. God loves me more now. Guys, I'm not saying you shouldn't lose the bad habits. What I'm saying is don't equate your relationship with God based on what you've done. You need to remember your relationship with God is based on what He has done. Amen? Amen? And what he has done isn't going to get any better. It's already the best. Amen? It's already complete. It is finished, he said, at the cross. It is finished. And praise God it is. This is not intended, the law, to be the basis of, what, of a man's walk with God. These early Christians were being drawn back into these dead rituals and this legalism. And the writer is keeping the law not as the answer, not the source of perfection. He's reminding them it's the Lord. Then it says, then it says, the law cannot make anything perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Oh, so the law can't do it. But there is a better hope. Now, what is the author talking about? Jesus Christ. 
Guys, I know this seems a little bit redundant, but what's scary to me is there are people going to Christian churches today who have missed this very basic point that it's all about your relationship with Him. We've missed it. We think it's something else. We're adding to the cross. We're adding rituals and rules. And again, should we be baptized? What's the answer? Absolutely. Why? It's an outward statement of an inward change. Don't you want the whole world to know you've given your life to Jesus Christ? That's what baptism is. But guys, if you start thinking that saved you, you've missed it. It's not baptism. It's Jesus Christ. He is our better hope. The law does not give you a better hope. The, the, you know, the Levitical priesthood could not give you a better hope. The law does not drive you, draw you near to God. Our better hope is to draw near to God through a better high priest. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, not the law of Moses. In the one who makes us perfect in him, not the law that can only reveal our imperfection. So, 12 reasons. Number six was Jesus is our priest forever. Number seven, the law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. Number eight, Jesus, our guarantee of a better covenant. Look at verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, the high priest in the order of Aaron were appointed only by their heritage. Jesus, as we're about to see, was appointed high priest, great high priest, by the Father, and he was done so with an oath before men, a promise before men about the Savior that we serve. And here's what it says. And it says, For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him. Does that confuse you or what? It says, But he with an oath by him who said to him. Who in the world's talking here? God the Father is speaking about God the Son. Amen? If you have a good Bible, all those H's should be capitalized. Amen? Because God the Father is God. God the Son is God. Amen? And as they speak about each other, they're both God. And, they're, and he's saying that he made an oath about the Son. A promise about the Son. And what does he say? Look at the rest of the verse 21. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Guys, again, he's making it so clear. Why would you go back to priests who die? Why would you go back to priests who fall? Why would you go back to a priesthood that cannot make you perfect? Why would you go back to rules and rituals that cannot save you when you have a better hope, a better covenant in the person of Jesus Christ? I mean, is this clear or what? I mean, he's driving this point home. Why? Because it's a great temptation to get caught up in the culture. Guys, you know what the culture is today? We're in a postmodern. We're in postmodern now. So we have to have experiential learning. And, you know, you're, oh, stop it already. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And we don't need to try to twist it and make him more user-friendly. We need to water down the cross because that might offend people. Guys, we need to be offended because we're sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? Amen? We need, the cross of Christ is the stone of offense. Lord, help us. Now, guys, when you share your faith, always do it in love. Never be self-righteous, ever, because you have nothing to be self-righteous about. Amen? But you know what? Don't apologize for the gospel. Don't make the cross less than it is. Don't pretend like there's another path. There is no other way. He's the only hope. 
And he says of Jesus, the Lord has sworn and he will not relent. Again, quoting from Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is better because he's the priest forever. He's our guarantee of a better covenant. Look what it says in verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. The word covenant is a promise. Guys, we have a better promise in Jesus. Amen? We have the ultimate promise in Jesus. Why would we go anywhere else? Why would we turn to anything else? The word surety there in the original language means someone who gives a security. Like someone who co-signs on a loan or someone who puts up bail for a prisoner. Guys, Jesus bailed us out and we could never pay the price. Amen? He bailed us out of eternity separated from the Father where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in a place called hell. And God delivered us from it. He bailed us out. He paid the price, not because we earned it, but because he loves us, even though he knows we're sinners. He that knows me best loves me most, and that blows my mind. How about you? Amen? He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done, and he still loves you. Loves you enough that he'd rather die than live without you. And he paid a, he played a surety or a, made a guarantee that you could go to heaven. The old covenant through Moses was not a guarantee of heaven. Why? Because they continually failed under it. But under the new covenant, he has taken all of the work and put it on his own plate. Do you understand that? Under Moses and the law, we had to, you know, man had to try and try and try and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. So he would see, I need to put my faith in the coming Savior. Guys, Jesus came, he took it all upon himself, it's done. You know what? In a works-based salvation, here's how it works. It's do, 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 do. With Jesus Christ, it's done. Amen? It's done. It's so good. It is such a blessing. He is our surety. He is our promise of a better covenant. It's better. It's unchanging. It's everlasting. Why would you go anywhere else? Number nine, Jesus doesn't need a replacement. Look at verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Hey, guys, your priest. Now, who is your priest right now? What happened to so-and-so? Well, he died. Okay, what about the guy before that? Well, he died. I heard this guy's kind of sick. Who's taking his place? Here's the point. He's saying, look, the priest I have will be the priest I will always have. The great high priest that I follow now will be the one I will always follow. I don't need anyone else. And again, we don't need Hophni or Phinehas. We've got the great high priest. Because again, the priest could get better and worse throughout the years. Verse 24. But he... Because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He being Jesus, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus will never die. He will never vacate his priesthood. You don't need to worry about a bad priest replacing him because he will always be on the throne. Guys, I believe we should be politically you know, active. But guys, I don't really worry all that much about who's president. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is always going to be on the throne. He's always going to be in charge. Nobody can vote him out of office. They can try to quiet him in school, and he's still God. He's still in control. Amen? Amen. 
Now, I'm going to go and I'm going to vote, and I'm going to vote for people who are you know, pro-life and pro thing if I can find anybody like that. But here's the point. <laughs> but I'm so blessed to know that sovereign God is on the throne, and He's faithful, and I'm going to trust Him, and He's never going to stop being the great high priest of my life. Amen? He's always going to be. Boy, that ought to bring joy and peace to our hearts. You know what it says there? Look at this. I love verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know what? He also is able to save to the uttermost. He doesn't save us to the least most. That's not really a word, but, you know, he doesn't just, he doesn't just save us a little bit. Amen? He saves us to the uttermost. I've heard that term, from the guttermost to the uttermost, amen? He takes us from the least and gives us the best. That's the God we serve. And then it says, we come to God, how? Only through Him. Boy, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? And that's just not, that's what I like about you Christians, man. You act like Jesus is all that matters. Uh, yes. <laughs> amen. You act like He's the only way. I don't act like... I. That's what he said. I didn't say it. Amen. And seeing as he's the only one who rose from the dead and he is the creator of the universe, he makes the rules. And I think they're pretty generous that he just reaches out to us and says, here's all you have to do. Accept me as Savior. Amen. I'm so glad it's not more complicated than that. I'm glad there aren't 47 ways. I'd be a mess. How about you? I'm glad he just says, here it is. I'm the door. Come through me. Yes, Lord. So good. And then he says, he is the way, he's the one we go through. But then it says, he always lives to make intercession for them. It should strengthen us to know that Jesus prays for us. Do you know that Jesus prays for you? Does that blow you away or what? Next time you're tempted, remember who's praying for you. Amen? Remember whose desire is that you would keep your eyes on him and not fall into that thing that will bring you harm and, and separate you from him. The Lord, Lord loves you so much. And he doesn't command us or call us to do things. He doesn't give us the strength to do. He ever lives to pray for us. What an encouragement this would be to these Jewish believers who are contemplating going away from Christ back to the old way. And you know what? Jesus is praying for you is what he's telling them. Return to him. Jesus is better. You know, we see in scripture, I, I wrote several down, I don't have time, I'll just read one. But there's one place where Jesus gives an example of interceding on behalf of his people. It's in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Man. You know what? Satan asked for you. I'm praying for you. Man, I love that. Let's move on. We're running out of time. Twelve reasons Jesus is better. Number ten, Jesus is holy. Look what it says. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. Were the other high priests holy? What's the answer? There were sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? Just like you and me. He's holy. He's harmless. The word harmless there means innocent. He's holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled, he's separated from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. This is way better than those priests from the Levitical priesthood, amen? 
The Levitical priests, they weren't holy. They weren't innocent. They weren't higher than the heavens. But Jesus is. He's giving them a very clear contrast that, again, the character of our Savior is far better than any earthly priest. The priest may consider going back to the temple and serving was so far below the Savior they were already serving. You know what? Jesus' character is perfect. One, he's exalted in heaven. And two, look at the next verse. It says, Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of others, he did once for all when he offered up himself. You know what? All the other priests, the first sacrifice they had to make was what? For themselves. Before they could make a sacrifice for anybody else, they had to go in first and make a sacrifice for themselves. And he's telling them here that reason number 11, that Jesus is better. He doesn't need to take care of his own sin because he doesn't have any. Amen? We serve a sinless, perfect, holy, innocent, righteous, faithful Savior. Not someone who's achieved great things through positive thought in this life. Amen? People get so caught up with a charismatic man. And we need to be very careful never to elevate men. The Levitical high priest was a sinner in need of a Savior himself. So too is any man you dare to put your faith in. Jesus alone is worthy of worship, praise, and honor. He doesn't need to take care of his own sin. Then lastly, last point, Jesus paid for our sin once and for all. It says, for the law appoints as high priest. Wait a minute, let me go back. He did once for himself. He did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Here's the point. He did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus will never make another sacrifice again. The Levitical priesthood made sacrifices every day, right? All day long, they had all these different sacrifices. They had weekly sacrifices, daily sacrifices, monthly sacrifices. You know, they had sacrifices based on the season. They had feasts they had to observe. They had once a year sacrifices. They were doing nothing but make sacrifices. They all had to be done right. What did they, why did they have to do that? Because it showed them the high price of sin. It revealed to them that sin produces a bloody mess. Amen. That every time they had to go and make sacrifice, they realized, whoa, sin comes with a high cost. A high cost, the shedding of innocent blood to cover my sin. But guys, once Jesus came, one drop of our Savior's blood did more than all the blood of all the lambs and all the goats and all the bulls that ever had their blood shed in the history of all mankind. What can wash away my sin? Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of our Savior. And he's saying to them, don't go back to the blood of bulls and goats. You've got the blood of the Savior who's already washed away your sin. He says, he did once for some. Is that what it says? He did once for all. I love you guys if you're a Calvinist. God bless you. I love you. But guess what? Jesus didn't die for some. He died for all. Amen? It is his desire that none should perish. No, not one. Amen? Now, he did all the work. He draws men unto himself, but we respond. 
And guys, the Lord loves you and he died for all of mankind. Every one of us. And then it says there in verse 28, it says, The Son who has been perfected forever. The law appointed men who had weakness, but the Father appointed the Son who's perfect forever. Why would you go back to the law that has appointed a weak high priest when the Father has given us the great high priest who's paid the price for our sin once and for all? Guys, I know this was repetitive this morning, but guys, I don't think we can say Jesus is better enough. Amen? Amen? Amen. I think we just keep saying it over and over and over because we keep needing to hear it. Because we keep getting distracted, don't we? We keep turning our eyes to other things. It's so easy to do in the life that we live. So 12 reasons Jesus is better. Let me go over these really quick. Number one, he's both king and priest. Number two, he is without beginning or end. Number three, he's the one who blesses others. Number three, he received tithes. Number four, or number five, excuse me, number four, received tithes. Number five, the Levitical priesthood was temporary and imperfect. Number six, Jesus is priest forever. Number seven, the law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. By the way, you can leave here perfect. Amen? Amen. You made holy. Jesus said so. You come unto him, he washes away your sin, and you are holy in him. Not because of your works, but because of his work. Number eight, Jesus is our guarantee of a better covenant. Guys, we have a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Amen? And Jesus is the surety. He's the promise. He's the one who paid it. So guys, we have it. We don't have to guess. We're going to heaven. Amen? As DC Talk would say, we're ha-ha, heaven bound. Number nine, Jesus doesn't need a replacement, so don't put, don't put anybody else on the throne. Number 10, Jesus is holy. Number 11, he doesn't need to take care of his own sin because he doesn't have any. And number 12, Jesus paid the price for sin once and for all. Aren't you glad he's your Savior? Aren't you glad? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you. We lift up and magnify your most holy name. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. And we just thank you and praise you for your incredible grace you've poured out upon us. That you love us so much you'd rather die than live without us. Lord, that you went to Calvary and you thought about us by name. After being resurrected, you ascended into heaven. You sent your Holy Spirit and now you intercede on our behalf. You pour out your spirit upon us to help us to walk with you. Lord, you're such a great God. We don't deserve it. We just thank you and praise you for it. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that's put their faith in anyone or anything else, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, you open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Lord, as you hold out the free gift to them, that universal offering of salvation, Lord, I pray even now by your Holy Spirit, you would Cause them to reach out, to respond to you. To say, yes, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to try religion and rituals anymore. I don't want to try to be good enough anymore. I failed. Lord, I know that I need you. I want to give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to be the man or woman you want me to be. Help me, Lord, by giving me the gift of eternal life and then walking with me for the rest of my life. Lord, if there's anybody here if that's your desire this morning, 
The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to do good works. I'm simply asking you to respond as he reaches out to you in love because he loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you. And he offers you the free gift of salvation. What do you have to do to be saved? You don't have to join a church. There aren't a bunch of rituals to keep. All you need to do is confess your sin and say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. If that's your desire, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So if you believe that and you confess that, you will be saved. You'll have the promise of heaven. He'll fill you with His Holy Spirit. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out. If that's your desire, if you've never done that before, I'm going to ask you a simple thing. Just raise your hand so I can pray with you. Is there anybody here at all? God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, I just lift up anybody here who doesn't know you, Father, that you continue to draw them unto yourself. I thank you, Lord, for the one who raised her hand, and I pray for her even now. The Lord, as she opens her heart to you, Lord, that you would draw her unto yourself. You'd pour out your spirit upon her. Lord, she would simply pray, even now, Lord, I confess my sin. I ask you to be my Savior. Lord, I pray that she would know that even now she's been forgiven. That she's a new creation in Christ. Fill her with your spirit. Walk with her, Lord. Father, for the rest of us, I do pray. Give us a greater passion for the lost. Help us to see the world through your eyes. Help us, Lord, to realize that this life here is but a vapor, and may we live it in a way that will impact eternity. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. The Bible says, when one person is saved, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen? Amen. Amen.